This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And tonight on the show we discuss every hiker's favorite topic, backcountry food. Erin Owens Mayhew joins the podcast this evening. She is a registered dietary nutritionist and long distance hiker that offers some tips on how to eat healthy and feast like a king or queen as you explore the backcountry. In the show, Erin provides some tips on meal planning. She offers some suggestions for inexpensive, tasty, and lightweight meals and tells us some common misconceptions and mistakes that backpackers make. Erin has spent the last two years traveling the country, running her meal planning business while embracing the van life. So join us for this interesting conversation on how she made a major pivot in her life and can help you with your next backcountry feast. Here's episode 76. All right, this is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Aaron Owens Mayhew to the show this evening. Aaron is a hiker, a backpacker, a dietary nutritionist, and she is uh, also currently embracing the van life, traveling in the western United States, and has joined us tonight to talk about meals and nutrition for the backcountry. Aaron, thank you for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um... First thing I'm dying to ask you is about van life because I, I had a chance to interview a couple in episode 38 about the Kungsleden and their travels through Europe in a van. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, and it sounds like a cheap way to travel. Can you can you tell us about your van life experience? Uh, it's exactly that. It's a cheap way to travel, um, and it's absolutely fun. Um, my husband and I actually bought – I came back from the Oregon Coast Trail, and my husband decided – I'm quitting my job, or he's quitting his job. I had already quit mine at the time that he's going to quit his job. We're going to take backcountry foodie full-time on the road. So we bought the van in September of 2018, um, worked on it all winter in Seattle, which was the worst time ever to build a van. If you've ever spent any time in Seattle, it rains all winter long. Um, so we finally gave up and moved out of our house permanently April 1st. And that's when everything started. So we drove down to my parents' house in Florida. It was our very first stop, and we spent two months there building it. And we've been going ever since. So we've been a little over a year in it now, full-time. Okay. And so, um, I mean, are, do most people customize the vans, or uh, is that common? I think I saw a picture on your one of your social media sites of how you had the whole inside gutted. I mean, is that typically how it's done? Um, for the most part, I would say, um, for budget reasons. It's extremely expensive to buy one already pre-built. Um, and we wanted to really customize it because it's built specifically for our business. So it needed to be designed so I could have my particular kitchen, um, set up the way we need it. And we have a lot of gear because we're backpackers. So we need to have enough room for all that. Um, so yeah, it was a hard build. It started out as just a shell, just a cargo van and we built everything in, in it and with zero experience. <laughs> so luckily my husband had a little bit of electrical experience, so he was able to do that. But okay. the rest of it, we did, learned as we went. Yeah, so is it a modular thing where you can kind of buy little kits to add certain sections to a van, or are you pretty much just building it your own from scratch? 
We built it from scratch. Okay. Yeah. All, all of the shelving, we used extruded aluminum to build all the shelving and the bed and the kitchen. I mean, it's all from scratch. Yeah, I saw a picture of the inside. I mean, it looked looked pretty cool. It looked like the bed setup looked very comfortable, actually. So it's actually yeah, it's a full queen size mattress, memory foam. So it's fantastic. We sleep really well. <laughs> uh, yeah, my son's got one of those. He loves it. Now, this is something you're still doing today, is that right? Yes. Well, actually, it's been parked the last almost seven weeks because of the quarantine. Um, we had to. We had been in Colorado in the Rockies and. The campgrounds were closing because of COVID-19, so we decided that we needed to go somewhere safe. So we um, took our van to my in-laws' house here in Florida, and we've been here for, like I said, about six going on seven weeks now. So we're looking forward to everything opening up and getting back in the van. Well, yeah, it's a big change getting down to Florida. Are you? Were you ready for the heat? No. <laughs> we're not fans of the heat. Yeah. Florida's been pretty loose uh, on their restrictions. Well, they're starting to loosen them up, I should say. They were one of the... One of the states that was pretty loose earlier on. Um, are you noticing a lot of people out and about, or is that not the case? Where, where exactly are you? Um, we're in Central Florida, and actually the villages and a retirement community. Oh, so yeah, okay. there's actually a lot of really active people here. So we've been really good about social distancing, but a lot of people are still outside walking and riding bikes and those kind of things. Um, but yeah, there's zero restaurants. You know, you're not going to the grocery store. We're picking up our groceries at Walmart outside. You know, those kind of things. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, Florida's hot. Uh, obviously, Colorado, you know, this time of year and in April was probably a lot colder. How, how do you heat and um, cool your van? Is it through propane? We actually have a diesel heater that taps right into our diesel tank. Um, and it's amazing. It's the S-Bar heater. Um, I'm so glad we have it because we use it all the time. And it very uses very, very little um, diesel. So we could run it practically 24-7. When we're parked for a week to two weeks at a time in the winter, we let it run all the time. Okay. And we don't have to worry about running out of fuel. And then for air conditioning, is is it a different system or how does that work? Opening the door. <laughs> Old-fashioned. Old school. I like it. No AC, but we're not fans of the heat, so we tend to not travel to places that are really hot. I got you. Okay, that works. Any any highlights from the trip you want to share? Oh my gosh, the fact that we're able to wake up in all these amazing places day after day after day um, that we otherwise had we not left our old life in Seattle, we never would have visited all these places. Yeah. And actually, we as of yesterday have decided we're moving to New Mexico which I never would have considered before this because I didn't know what New Mexico was like, but we actually really love it. So we're looking forward to going spending some time there and figuring out where home's going to be. Yeah, that's cool. And, um, I mean, I'm sure there's times that you break down and get a hotel room, right? Or were you pretty much just doing the van thing the whole time? Oh, no, we've never stayed in a hotel. Wow, okay. Yeah, we've only paid for even a campsite. Um, I think we counted up three times. So we've maybe spent $50 on – you know, like living expense, rent, campground fees, those kind of things. We've never stayed in an RV park, never a hotel. I mean, so we've lived on public lands in the wilderness the oh. entire year. Well, now that's got to be a lot harder to do when you get back east. Is that accurate? or? Um... Um, yes, it takes a little bit more investigating places to find. But we actually, when we were on the East Coast last year, we traveled so much that it wasn't as hard finding a place for an extended time. Okay. Um, we'd only be there for a night and keep moving on, whereas – on the west coast we found that we were staying in places for a week to two weeks at a time so and those spots are more available than they are on the east coast okay sure and um so how long do you you expect to continue the van life i mean it sounds like you're kind of digging it right now oh we love it um we're actually doing the next phase of our business so 
we're looking at selling and producing our food or producing and selling rather our food. Um, so in order for that to happen, we still have to keep our living expenses extremely low. So we're going to stay in the van to get that up and running and we just love it. So we're not really ready to settle down into a house right now. So we don't have an end point right now. Um, I would expect at least another year, but who knows? It could be two, it could be three. We don't really know, <laughs> Okay. which is kind of the nice thing about van life. We just, we literally live day to day. Yeah, for, I mean, for those that might be a little freaked out about just kind of pulling off the road and, and parking somewhere to camp for the night, you, you have any spooky stories to share or any advice just for security? Um, we had actually had to ask my husband this because it's been actually pretty low key. Um, we had two instances. One early on was we'd parked on the side of a grocery store and somebody was rattling the handle trying to get in. Really? Um, and that was really early on. So we were really creeped out and we were like, we need a baseball bat. And we didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but ever since our dog is actually a really good guard dog. So anytime there's a noise outside, she barks really loudly. So she's kind of our alarm system. Um, and then the other time was we pulled into camp, it was relatively late and there was, that's called an earth roamer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what kind of vehicle that is. Okay. Um, but they're extremely expensive. You'd like a half a million dollar kind of RV vehicle kind of thing. Um, was parked there. We're like, Oh, this must be a nice place. You know, it's clean. And then later on this other car pulls in, um, and the guy gets out of it and starts yelling and screaming. We didn't know if he was yelling at us or yelling at the other van. Um, and then he gets back in his car. Then he talks about his dog, bringing his dog out and getting us. Really? Um, and then the next thing we know is he's talking, the guy that was um, yelling and screaming was talking to the guy in the fancy RV. And we think it was actually a drug deal. Uh-huh. Um, because they suddenly started having a conversation over to the side. And it got really quiet. And then he jumped in his car and left again. So like, what just happened? Wow. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, so we immediately also just jumped back in our van and we we're like, we're out of here. We're yeah. not going to stay and see if this happens again. Um, so those were really the only two times in a year that something kind of unusual happened. That's interesting. You know, if, if, if you're, uh, if you're listening to podcasts while you're traveling there, Aaron, um, episode 45 and 46, I interview a guy that, uh, wrote a book on renegade camping doing oh. just what you're doing so okay um he's got their ebooks and um they might be very interesting to you given your oh, yeah. current, current lifestyle so <laughs> highly recommend you check them out okay, I will. yeah so um just any any closing tips for um anybody that might be considering the van life any takeaway tips i strongly recommend it if you're in a position to where you're not happy where you are and you just need a break even i mean it's something that it doesn't have to be permanent even if you just take a couple months off and travel. And like I said, we never knew we would love New Mexico as much as we did. And we've found where our new home is. We had actually, when we were at Seattle, our commute was two hours each way. Wow. I mean, we were just in a position, we had put a bid on a house and it was ex- more expensive than we wanted to spend. Our commute was horrible. Like we were just stressed out all the time. We weren't able to exercise. Um, so now we actually have been able to create our, create our own life and live at our own schedules and do all the traveling we want. Um, so it's actually, I don't don't regret a second of it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. So Aaron, let me ask you about, um, just, you know, your life before what what sounds to me a a pretty adventurous lifestyle now. Um, can you give us your backstory? I know you worked in a hospital for 10 years. Just how did you go from that to, um, where you are now? Um, that's actually a good story. Um, I had a midlife crisis that I didn't expect to happen. (laughs) Um, like I was saying, our, my commute had gotten to be two hours each way. I was working lots of hours. I just was stressed out all the time. 
um, and I was reaching 40. This is back in 2016. I was getting ready to turn 40, um, and I suddenly decided to book a two-week trip to the Philippines and Bali with a guy I met online on a dating site. Ah, interesting. <laughs> which I had never met before. Okay. <laughs> he was living in the Philippines, so that was really odd for me to do that. <laughs> And then I custom ordered a luxury SUV and bought it while on vacation visiting my sister in Georgia. Wow. Okay. Where, where, <laughs> where, where, really... <laughs> where, where does your sister live in Georgia, just out of curiosity? Um, Savannah. Okay. I'm in Atlanta, so, so that's why I had to okay. ask. Yeah. So I was on vacation visiting her and I custom ordered a art, uh, excuse me, an SUV while I was visiting. So that was bizarre because I don't spend a lot of money. I'm extremely frugal. Um, so those kind of things leading up to it, just being exhausted all the time. I didn't care about my job anymore, which was really unusual for me because I work really hard and love what I do. Um, that I decided I wanted to through hike the PCT and just quit everything and figure out what was going on and what I wanted to do next. Um, and PCT is something I've been wanting to do for years, but I was at the stage, like I was 40 and you're supposed to be working on retirement when you're 40, you're supposed to keep a stable job. You're supposed to have a house and all those things. And I did, but I was still miserable. So I left all that behind, um, started the PCT, and then preparing for it, excuse me, um, being the dietitian, I knew I needed to eat well. And I've always been an athlete, so I kind of know how my body reacts to athletics and sports and like eating high energy foods so I can keep going. Um, so in researching what typical through hikers eat, I started panicking because I realized there's no way I'm going to survive on Pop Tarts and honey buns and ramen noodles and you know, rice and those things. That's just not going to sustain me. Um, so then I started having to figure out what am I going to do instead? Well, I can't afford Mountain House for five months. It's not feasible. (laughs) They are expensive. Yeah. Nor do I want to eat that for five months. So that's not feasible. Um, and I've never made homemade food before. So I started reading about making homemade food. So I started tinkering around with that. And then I just got good at it and started figuring out how I can maximize my nutrition and get all those calories I wanted in without weighing a ton too. Um, so that's kind of where my new method of meal planning just came about is in preparing for the PCT. Um, it's what I call ultralight meal planning is kind of my thing. Okay. Um, so I max, I maximize nutrition and the least amount of weight possible in food. Um, so you're, you're, so that's kind of how that started. You're, you're teeing me up perfectly to ask you a bunch of okay. questions about, about food. Let, I'm very curious to ask you about your through hiking, uh, experience on the PCT. Cause I understand you also spent some time on the AT and the Oregon coast trail. So you just want to talk about your through hiking uh, experience on the PCT first? So PCT, like I said, I started on my 40th birthday, which is really awesome. I started crying immediately when I got there because it was so exciting. Um, and I only made it 375 miles because of a silly shoulder injury. Um, I loved every minute of it, um, but living in Seattle, I wasn't used to the sunshine in the desert, right. so I was really nervous about that and how I'd react to that for that many miles. So I had one of the chrome dome, you know, the reflective umbrellas, mm-hmm. um, and I had it essentially zip tied to my shoulder strap. Um, and this is actually where my um, trail name came from. So I zip tied to my shoulder strap and ended up causing a shoulder injury. They think maybe I'd pinched a nerve. Um, in my shoulder somewhere and ended up just tightening up and then I couldn't carry my backpack anymore. So the very last day I was on the PCT, I was carrying it like a purse on my right arm and then I used my tent footprint to wrap my shoulder and my arm against my body as a sling. (laughs) So I earned the name sling on my very last day of the trail um, because of my tent footprint. Okay. Um, And then, wait, do I understand that you at some point made your way over to the AT? Was that at the same same year or did you take a year off and before you went to the Appalachian Trail? 
Right. So then again, I'd quit my job and all these things. And I also had 450 pounds of food at home mm. that I'd made for the PCT. So I was like, okay, I'm rehabbing my shoulder. There's no way I'm quitting right now. So I went home for several weeks, rehabbed my shoulder, um, and then jumped on the AT at Harper's Ferry because right about the same time as when the bubble for the AT hikers was coming through. Okay. So I jumped on there at Harper's Ferry and quickly realized that my 20 mile PCT hiker legs were not the same 20 mile AT hiker legs. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, because I wasn't used to going up and down. Um, the AT is a lot of up and down. Yes, it is. Um, and a lot of like st- stair stepping kind of thing. Whereas the PCT yep. is a very gentle grade. Um, so I ended up tearing my quad muscle 500 miles in and having to go home off the AT. Food's still great, still maintaining my weight, eating really well. <laughs> but I went home because I tore my quad muscle. Okay. And so, I mean, so you, do you think the, I mean, I've heard that the AT is physically harder, but the PCT is, is much more logistically difficult. Would you, would you agree with that statement? Having done I would pieces? Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Well, and again, I didn't, wasn't able to throw out the entire PCT, but having lived along it in Washington state and Oregon, those things, I think logistically it's definitely harder. Um, and the AT, I was surprised at how hard it was. I wasn't expecting that. Okay. So I pushed a lot harder thinking I was physically ready because I'd been pulling the same mileage on the PCT and it, I should have slowed way down. Yeah. But eventually you made your way to the Oregon coast trail, which I'm curious about because I really don't know much about it. So just tell us, you know, quickly, this being a backpacking podcast, uh, how that came to be in your experience on the Oregon Coast Trail. So then that was the following year that I decided, okay, I love through hiking, but my husband wasn't going to let me go for five months again. So, <laughs> so we agreed on a 30-day hike instead. <laughs> um, so I chose the Oregon Coast Trail. Actually, I was supposed to do the Colorado Trail, but that was a the year there was a forest fire for the last 100 miles of the trail. Hmm. So I decided like a week before I was supposed to leave for Colorado to do Oregon Coast because I didn't want to get that close to finishing and not be able to finish because of the fire after not finishing the PCT and the AT the year prior. Um, so I ended up doing the Oregon coast starting, um, at the Northern border hiking South and it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. I don't recommend it because it's a lot of road walking, really unsafe mm. road walking, okay. um, on highway one Oh one. So there's a lot of traffic. Um, and then the beach walking, it was extremely boring. I was surprised. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you would go, especially in Southern Oregon, it'd be miles and miles and miles of absolutely no one around. Um, so I just, I didn't really enjoy it at all, but I did cold soak the whole thing. So that was an experiment in itself. Um, so are I you, wouldn't do it again, but it was actually a good experience. Wait, when you say cold soak, are you talking food? Yeah, my food. I didn't take a stove. I oh, only ate cold okay. food the entire 30 days. Okay. Okay. So you're teeing me up ter- perfectly for a bunch of questions <laughs> I have for you about food. One, one final question that's going to get to the caloric needs that through hikers have. Um, and, and that is like, you know, how many calories do you think you burn today? when you were um, on the AT, the PCT, the Oregon Coast Trail, and then what's typical? Um, and does it vary between men and women? That was another question I had for you. Yes, it's extremely variable for everyone, even like myself. Um, so the PCT, I dialed it into where it was about 5,000 calories. The AT, because it was so much harder, and I was pulling the miles, um, was 6,000 calories plus. I mean, there were days I'd eat all my food and would still go into town and eat even more. Um, and then the Oregon coast, because it was just walk, beach walking essentially and road walking that I didn't burn nearly the same amount of energy as I did on the other trails. And my pack was extremely light. Um, it was during the summer, so I didn't have any winter gear. Um, so I only ate maybe 3,500, maybe 4,000, um, uh, okay. on the OCT. 
Um, and that's kind of how it does for other hikes too, even weekend hikes or week long hikes. It just depends on what's the elevation gain, like what's the temperature, you know, how fast are you going, how heavy is your backpack. So that's why I think every single person is completely different and men and women specifically too, because men, I mean, more muscle mass and tend to go probably faster and you can carry a heavier pack and those kind of things. So each individual's needs are so different. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, let, let's talk about backcountry food for a moment because I understand, you know, obviously we said this earlier, a dietitian and also a nutritionist. Um, how do you incorporate that knowledge into your meal planning on long-distance hikes? Uh, my philosophy is to take what I eat at home the best that I can into the backcountry. Um, because you're used, to, you're used to eating a certain way every single day, seven days a week, and then your body's not going to react very well when you switch over to what's the, I would call the traditional hiker diet. Um, like I was saying, or the pop tarts, you know, the honey buns and tortillas and those things. Um, if your body's not used to working off of those processed sugars, then you're just not going to recover very well. Um, because you're probably used to having a more, it just depends on what your diet's like at home, I suppose. Um, but I try to do the best I can to just translate, let's say my breakfast at home is yogurt, granola, and berries. What I do in the backcountry is I take freeze-dried yogurt, freeze-dried berries, and granola. It's the same breakfast. It's just in a backcountry form. Um, same thing, the meals that we make at home, I figure out how to dehydrate those and, or use dry ingredients and eat the same thing when we're backpacking. Um, so it's essentially the same food. It's just in a shelf-stable form. Okay. And so, um, I mean, what, what suggestions do you have for really simple, lightweight, tasty meals for the trail? I mean, not, not just the ones that you especially like for yourself, but, um, you know, that just ones that are very popular on people that come to your website. Um, I think the pastas are really easy. I mean, it's, if you don't use ramen all the time, you can use angel hair pasta. I mean, it rehydrates within five minutes. It's super simple. You can add in some pesto seasoning, some olive oil, maybe some sun-dried tomatoes and Parmesan cheese, and you're done. And it's like a real meal that you would have at home. And all of those are shelf-stable, super easy. Dump it in one pot, um, freezer bag cook, and you're done. So that's a really easy dinner. Um, and then I've been trying to encourage people to take drinks um, because they're so easy to mix up too. And a lot of people will find that they're not hungry all the time, but you do need to eat so that you don't bonk. So that's something I encourage people to do like um, – one of my recipes is peanut butter powder, a carnation breakfast, those chocolate packets, and the little breakfast packets, and then some whole milk powder, and that's like 400 calories and 20 grams of protein. Wow. And eight ounces. Yeah, it's super simple, okay. super cheap. You buy it at Walmart, and then you've got this awesome nutrition. Yeah, and I understand you're a vegetarian, so um, is, is somebody that's a, a major carnivore like myself, uh, what, what do you recommend for a, a meat eater that, uh, <laughs> that, that does long-distance hikes, or even overnight or weekend? And actually, this is something, too, that's, um, well, yeah, I'm not a carnivore, so I don't use meat. But actually, nutritionally, if you're going to keep your backpack weight light, um, plant-based sources of protein are actually lighter and provide more nutrition for the weight than, let's say, a packet of tuna. Um, so if you use beans or quinoa or those kind of things, you actually get carbs, protein, and fat. Versus a can of tuna is really low fat, and you're only going to get the protein. Yeah. So And it's really heavy because it's wet. Okay. So... I actually encourage people to consider plant-based proteins when they're backpacking, just if they're wanting to go ultralight and keep their backpack really light, um, because you can maximize all that in every single bite instead of having, you're going to have to have the tuna and the tortilla to have the carbs and the protein Okay. versus having beans that has carbs and protein in it together, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> no, it definitely does. And, you know, honestly, there's a lot of beans that I like that, uh, you know, I could probably incorporate in 
uh, more on long distance. If I'm out for a weekend, I'm going to probably pack a little heavier. But um, are there, tell me, just out of curiosity, the folks that come to your website, the, the favorite breakfast, a favorite lunch, favorite dinner, or even a snack, what are your most popular um, choices of the of the folks that come to your site for each of those meals? You're, I guess you already mentioned uh, you already mentioned dinner, right? Because you talked about the pasta. But what about the others? Um, okay. Well, I guess my favorite breakfast, other than the granola and the yogurt that I would normally have, is I have a cheese grits recipe that is absolutely amazing. Um, and you put a little hot sauce on top. And my dad actually loves it. And he's not a backpacker whatsoever, but he actually would eat it at home. It's so yummy. And it's just a packet of cheese grits, some cheese powder, um, some garlic powder, and hot sauce, and some, I think, butter powder. And it's super easy, but it's delicious. Aaron, I'm in the South. You don't have to sell me on grits for a second. <laughs> cheese grits. <laughs> now you, put a little, you put a little jalapeno and some cheese grits, and oh, man, it is awesome. Um, and then lunch, a really good lunch to take that's really lightweight and nutritious is hummus. Mm. Um, again, I'm a vegetarian, but it's loaded in protein. It's really inexpensive. You can buy it lots of times at the bulk store. You put a little garlic or pesto or something in it and some olive oil, and you've got like your carbs, your protein, and your fat all in one meal. And it's extremely low volume too, which is something I really focus on because there's those times that you have to carry 10, 12 days in a bear can. All right. And you need food that doesn't take up space. Sure. Um, so hummus is one of those. Actually, I have a chocolate hummus dip that's pretty amazing too that tastes like um, brownie batter. Okay. And it's just... Yeah, so it's another one of those you could eat as a dessert, but you're still getting a lot of really awesome nutrition in it. Yeah, I, you know, I saw something on your site, too, that you had Fritos with some kind of dip. Was that a hummus dip, or what was I looking at there in one of those pictures? That was probably, we'll have two. I have a beans and cheese Frito dip. It's probably the one you were looking at. Mm-hmm. And then I also have a black bean dip. That's just a can of black beans with some cayenne powder, um, some lemon juice, I think it's something. And you just dehydrate it. And again, it's like 675 calories in this little half a cup serving with some Fritos. It's super easy, super nutritious, and costs a dollar or less. I mean, a can of beans is less than a dollar. That's, so. That sounds really good. You got any tricks for not ending up with a bunch of Frito crumbs when you get to your campsite? <laughs> no, actually, I think they get eaten early on in the, the week, so they don't usually end up all crunched up. <laughs> okay. I've, I've put Fritos in tennis cans before, or oh, crackers, okay. so, you know, I guess that's one option, but um, interesting. So, we talked about dinner. I know the Pastas are very popular. Outside of the pasta world, what, what else do you have, though, that uh, that uh, a lot of people like? Um, well, they like a lot of the quinoa. Again, they're vegetarians. They like the quinoa because it really rehydrates really easily, and it's a lot of nutrition. Okay. Um, I've got my list of things. Like, I have over 200, so that's, <laughs> believe it or not, it's hard for me to remember what that's recipes quite a list. I have because I have so many. Yeah. Um, then another one I like to do too is actually have some chickpea salads again. Um, beans are super high in protein, really low, uh, weight, lots of calories. Um, and it's just dill, um, some mayonnaise packets and it's something we eat normally actually at home and it has some onion in it and some parsley, I believe. Um, so another one of those really easy recipes that's super high calorie and nutritious and inexpensive. Again, a can of chickpeas is less than a dollar. Yeah. So, Hey, just to make sure I understand, we'll talk about your business here in a second, but these are. You're buying ingredients from the store and then pre-packaging them for, uh, well, actually, maybe this is a great opportunity for you to explain your website and the services you provide. Um, so my style of meal planning is primarily what I call dry ingredients based, is I buy all dry ingredients um, and then just essentially dump them into whatever container I'm going to be using, whether it's a Ziploc baggie or some sort of container to go in the backcountry with me. Um, so it's just a one pot kind of thing. 
Um, so it doesn't make a lot of mess. It's inexpensive. Or if there are the times that I do want to make a full meal, then I'll dehydrate it and take that with me too. Um, so like I was saying, the bean dip, I would make that fresh and then dehydrate that and then take it with me. Um, so there's a handful of those, but I primarily, primarily use dried ingredients. Um, so on our website, essentially, we have the two services. We have 75 recipes, or similar to all these that I've been talking about. Um, so just the 75 recipes, and then the next service is the kind of the premium level, is you get those 75 recipes plus another 100, plus all the meal planning um, things that I've developed as a dietitian. So I've got, by the time it's all finished, you have 36 meal plans, they're all interactive. Um, so it's a Google sheet to where you can plug and play and it automatically tabulates what the calories are, the protein, it does all that for you. Um, it tells you how much your bag's going to weigh, it tells you how much water you need. Um, so that's part of that. And then it also has webinars of all these things that, um, how to dehydrate food, how to know how many calories do you pack, uh, anything you need to know about meal planning. There's webinars, I've got tip sheets. Um, it's essentially an enormous resource that it's kind of this one go-to place to get everything you need to be able to plan your food for backpacking trips. Okay. Do you want, you want to talk about the pricing just so the uh, listeners kind of know, uh, you know, how that, how that works? It actually changes all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's, we don't like to talk about pricing. Wow. That's, because that, that sounds like the express lane in Atlanta. <laughs> so we're actually not, we're, it's currently on sale like today and it's going off tomorrow. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Better hurry. Oh yeah. So we actually change it a lot. Just trying to figure out what the pricing is right now. So I don't know how to answer that the best. <laughs> okay. So, so wait, I understand basically for a fee, it's a flat rate, not a monthly. It's, it's a flat rate. Is that right? Yes, so it's a one-time purchase, um, and then you have lifetime access. And also, I forgot to mention, um, in both services, the 75 recipe, we have once a month a web call where people can call in as a group, um, and we just chat about whatever questions you have. So I serve as kind of like the moderator um, and answer any questions. And then for the premium plan with the meal planning, we actually meet twice a month. Um, and do the same thing. So it's an hour long of just kind of all getting together and talking about what our experiences are, what questions you have, and that kind of thing. So you have lifetime access to me um, twice a month too. So so basically what happens is someone um, will get a recipe and they'll go buy the ingredients with your instructions and um, essentially uh, have a meal plan that they go and they purchase the goods and follow your instructions to take into the backcountry. Is that, is that, did I describe that accurately? Yes, essentially, I've done all the work for you except for going to the grocery store. <laughs> now, the, the, just for the record, for the listeners, and, and I won't put you on the spot on a price, but I, the, the pricing when I looked at it was extremely reasonable, right? Yeah, very, very reasonable. So um, I was impressed with that. But you also have um, another, don't you have another service where uh, I'm trying to remember what I saw on there? You had a flat Custom. rate. Yes, yes, Custom please. Custom coaching? There you go. Yes, I do offer, offer custom coaching. Um, so if you need a little more personalized um, attention and help with things, then I can help you if you have like special dietary needs, if you have like bariatric surgery and you're trying to figure out how to eat for your trip because you're so low sugar and low calories, I can help with that. Um, or if you just don't have time to plan, I love it. So I can plan whatever trip you're going on, whether it's like a two-week trip or whether it's this huge expedition and you're gone for months. I mean, I really love doing this, so that's something I can do. Or if you just want to spend an hour and chat and figure out kind of troubleshoot what's going on, like for your next one-week trip, we can talk about something just a little more low-key. So it's okay. kind of an open-ended, just whatever you need help with, I'm here to help. 
So, so Aaron, let's talk about something fun here, because I guarantee if I tell you what I take on the trail, you're not going to be impressed. So let's talk healthy versus <laughs> non-healthy. And um, well, first of all, what's the worst thing you can take on the trail for food-wise? Food-wise, you always hear me talking about honey buns and Pop-Tarts. Uh, not good. <laughs> because huh? they're just processed food and such high sugar content. So the problem is they're really low protein and really high sugar. Um, so I think what most people think is a calorie is a calorie and that's just not the case. Um, so in those kind of really high processed sugar foods, you're going to get a really big spike in your sugar and then you're going to crash not too long after. Um, so if you're just out for a weekend, that's not such a big deal, but if you're out for weeks at a time, then you're really going to notice it. Um, so I really discourage people to not take those with them. Um, although I am a Snickers lover, so I do oh. have my, but then I use it as a carb protein and fat too. So <laughs> that's okay. kind of how I get it by, I use it. So. Well, I didn't really, so Snickers really does satisfy. It really does. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when I threw, when I was on the AT during my through hike, I had a, I had a snack bag and I had exactly what you just described, uh, a lot of candy and, um, interesting sugar laden uh treats uh so you're saying that's a bad thing well unless you're able to like also have a packet of peanut butter with it kind of thing so you have some fat and protein to keep you from having that sugar this is one thing actually i learned on the at is everybody loves um, sour patch kids Mm. so i got on the sour patch kid kick and i realized that that's not a good idea at least for me i don't respond to those high sugars Okay. Um, they taste really great, but I would eat them and not eat anything else, and then I would crash. So if you can balance that out with having some sort of protein or um, carb, like complex carb, like something with some fiber in it, then your sugar is not going to jump up so high and then drop down so low so quickly. But this, again, now you're having to eat two types of food instead of just eating one piece of food. Is where I was trying to talk about that combination thing of getting protein, carbs, and fat all in that single food. Okay. Um, so you actually, again, you get to eat less if you eat the combination food versus having Sour Patch and something else. You're having to carry more food for the same thing. You know, I'm so curious. You know, this was when I was younger, right? When I was on the AT that um, I loaded up with a lot of sugary treats. But you, now I'm more of a beef jerky, cheese, and freeze-dried food kind of guy. What, mm-hmm. what am I doing to myself with that? Or is it not as bad as it sounds? I don't really think it's as bad as it sounds because, again, you're getting your protein, you're getting some fat in there with the cheese, um, and I think that's really not that bad. Again, it's kind of like taking your home diet. I'm assuming you'd have some kind of – you're a carnivore, so you'd have some sort of steak or chicken or something at home, yeah. and you probably have cheese at home. So it's actually just, again, the shelf-stable version of what you did at home. I mean it, it sounds like from what I'm hearing the main message here is don't shock your body with something it's not used to. Is that accurate? Exactly. Okay. Interesting. But, but at the same time – try to be kind to your body and put the right things in it. I'm, am I hearing that correctly too? Right. Okay. But at the same time too, I have what I call fun foods. So I always take dessert. That's just, that's going with me. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, there's those times where it just sucks being on trail and I always make sure I have something that's going to definitely make me happy, which usually for me, I have a sweet tooth. So for me, it's going to be some kind of dessert that's they're homemade because that's just what I do. But I always at least take some kind of fun food that I know is going to be a morale booster when you do have those ugly days on trail that you're just miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Those days happen. Where does, they do happen. <laughs> where does, where does little Debbie fit into your nutritional scheme here? Um, little Debbie doesn't, but pudding with um, vanilla wafers and shredded coconut does. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it's on your menu. <laughs> and yeah, an alp- my apple cobbler lives in there too, and my strawberry cheesecake is in there. Oh, okay. Um, so is that a powdered uh, cheesecake? 
yeah, that's all just powdered cheese. It's actually just the no-bake cheesecake um, that you get at the store, but I've actually added quite a few other things to it to make it a little more nutritious. Interesting. Um, Sounds very yeah. lightweight. Yeah, it is. Huh. So, And then like my apple cobblers, just dehydrated apples, some graham crackers, um, cinnamon, nutmeg, and coconut oil. And right. I mean, it tastes like homemade apple cobbler. And all these need a little bit of water, I would imagine. Just a right? little bit of water. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Do you, hey, do you want to talk? Let's let's talk desserts for a second because now we're on the topic. Um, I have had the freeze-dried ice cream sandwich, by the way, from Mountain House. My son finds it interesting. But, um, <laughs> but depending on where you are, let's just use desserts as an example. If, you, if you're in the desert, what would be a good dessert in your uh, menu for the desert? And if you're in a super wet place like Seattle where there's lots of water, what would be a good dessert in that environment? Am I putting you on the spot too much? Uh, no, actually, wet environments, puddings are really good because you need to have water to hydrate it, but they also do so much better if you can, like, soak it in a stream or something or um, a lake because what I would do, then that way it sets up a lot better. The cheesecake, too, sets up a lot better when it's colder. So that's what I do is I sh you add the water to – I freezer bag cook, so everything's in, like, a plastic bag. Um, you shake it up, and then I would sit it in a stream while I'm setting up my tent or what have you. So by the time I'm set up for dinner, then it's already chilled and it's thickened like pudding. Okay. Um, and then going back to even just that apple cobbler I was just talking about, it only takes like an ounce of water, I think, to rehydrate the graham crackers and the apples, and it's done. I mean, it takes very little water. Okay. So that sounds like a good desert or drier environment food to take, right? Right. And like, then I have, I'm getting all like, ooh, my desserts. <laughs> I have a key lime cream cheese dip, which is amazing too, which takes only an ounce of water. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I dip just um, vanilla wafers in it. Okay. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about prepackaging these foods and selling them? I mean, um, or you're more just given the recipes and the coaching right now? That is actually where we are currently in phase two of Backcountry Foodie. Um, we are going in that direction to start producing and selling our food. Okay. Um, so that is where we're going to next. That's part of us going to New Mexico and setting down some roots. We're staying in our van, but we're actually going to start transitioning our business from Washington state to New Mexico and we found a kitchen. So that's kind of what the next step is, is hopefully in the next few weeks, once the COVID restrictions are lifted, we're going to start doing that. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a great way to go. You know, the other thing that is clear to me, you've got, as you know, um, having spent some time on long distance trails, like I have, um, you've got a lot of through hikers starting out and, um, they have no idea what kind of food to take other than just loading up on $8 mountain houses or $10, $10, right? Which is insanely expensive. So are you looking at maybe doing some kind of through hiker, um, program? Absolutely. Yeah. We're actually, and again, having that experience, like you were saying, I know what it's like to have to pack your boxes and then not liking it later. And then just the logistics of mailing things. Um, so we are going to try and offer resupply, um, service so we're hoping to if everything goes as planned and then we'll have that all ready to go for next season yeah so just out of curiosity the people that you work with today and, and i was impressed when i checked out your i think it was your instagram account the number of followers you have um are, are they where do they skew do they skew more to the long distance hiker to the guy or girl that's out for a week is it more weekend overnight people like you know do you have a sense of that um, it's definitely a lot of the through hikers because they're more concerned about the weight of their food and getting enough calories in. Um, I think it's less of the day hikers, but then there's the other um, category of people that just want to eat healthy. So they're looking for healthier recipes. Um, but what's interesting is we're split almost 50-50 male-female. 
Um, so it's been really interesting. I didn't realize how many men would enjoy recipes, but I think it's because of all the gram counting. <laughs> so, and all of our recipes provide all the nutrition information um, and all the weights and grams. Um, everything's very precise. So I think that's primary, possibly why so many men are really enjoying it. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me actually. That um, really, that we you, were surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me there'd be such an even ratio. Um, but I, you know, I do want to ask you. Um, you know, there are trips where you're out in a very different environment. You're out for one night. You're with a, a crowd. You know, maybe you got four or six, even eight people. What what do you have any recommendations for uh, something off your menu to serve a big group? That was actually the other question I couldn't answer. I've never made a group meal. Really? <laughs> I meant wow. to tell you that one. Okay. Yeah. I've never made a group meal, so I didn't have an answer. <laughs> All right. What about for kids? I guess we talked about a bunch of desserts. What any any cuz I have got a well they're aging, but um you know, kids get so excited about dessert on the on the trail, and you can just stick a marshmallow on a stick, and they'd be happy. But uh, what, anything in your portfolio there that you think would go over well with the younger generation? Well, one of our snacks, which I guess is more of a dessert, is my s'mores trail mix, which is just honey grams, marshmallows, and chocolate chips. Um, and it tastes like, and actually on a hot day, they melt together, and they actually taste like s'mores that you can eat out of a snack bag. Um, so those are a fun treat for kids. They're not necessarily the most nutritious. Um, but then again, for getting them to eat the foods is using what you use at home. Is if you've got mac and cheese or you live at home, you just translate that into a backpacking option, and they're going to have the mac and cheese um, there on trail. So My daughter loves mac and cheese. You could <laughs> not go wrong with that one. I have a taco mac and cheese that's pretty awesome. Oh, um, interesting. That has taco flavor, again, being a vegetarian, has taco flavored texture vegetable protein in it. Um, some cheddar cheese powder, some taco seasoning. Um, again, it's another one that's really super simple. Oh, and it has um, sour cream powder in it, too, that makes it creamy. Hmm. Well, I like the way you use powders. I'm intrigued uh, about uh, – about. I'm, I'm intrigued about your menu, actually. Let, <laughs> let me ask you um, – I know before that you got into this whole business, you probably – had tasted a lot of freeze-dried food and, and experimented with various things. What, what's the worst meal you've ever had in the backcountry, just out of curiosity? Which obviously is not your recipes, but um, that maybe sent you down this path to making better foods when you hike. Um, I, I'm not going to mention brand names. <laughs> it, it sounds like it was freeze-dried. <laughs> Commercially prepared freeze-dried food. There are a few companies that I just could not tolerate. Um we wasted so much money because I was going back to the PCT. I was trying to figure out how I was going to eat. So we bought hundreds of dollars of this stuff trying to figure out what am I going to do. And we wasted so much money. So that's when I realized I just need to eat what I normally eat at home. That's what I'm going to enjoy the most. Um, but there was one breakfast homemade of mine that went on the Oregon coast with me. Like I was saying, I cold soaked. Um, and I didn't nail it before I left. And it was a strawberry bulgur breakfast of some sort with some nuts in it. And it mm. was horrible, mm. um, cold. It should have been eaten hot, but I didn't have a stove. And it was one of those that it, I packed like once a week or even more. So every day that that came up, I would go into town and throw it away as fast as I could and go and buy like something I could in the grocery store. It was so bad. Yeah, you know, on that topic, what what do you think the biggest mistake that backpackers make? Um, and I get, well, I guess there's two two categories of that: long distance backpackers, and then maybe someone that's out for a shorter trip. But what what do you think the biggest mistakes that uh, they make are in in reference to food, in preparing food um, and taking it on the trail? I think, well, in preparing wise, I think the biggest, just what, from what I've heard talking to other people, is that it's not flavorful enough. Mm. So. 
they don't necessarily know like good recipes to use or they're just trying to make things at home from scratch. Um, so they're leaving out a lot of spice and herbs and those kind of things that actually make it taste good. Um, so I think that's might be some of it because you need your food to taste good. I mean, after a long day on the trail, like you really, you're starving. You really want to look forward to what your food is. So it's nothing's worse than opening up a, a package of food and then it tastes horrible. Um, so I think that's the number one thing is the flavor part. You, you just described me. Uh, just dump, dump, <laughs> dumping a bunch of hot sauce on it's not going to get it done. I hear you. What, so what suggestions do you have for meal planning at the house um, you know, before somebody heads out? Um, again, going back to the whole philosophy of eat like you do at home. So if you've got a meal that you enjoy for dinner at home, just convert that into, let's say it's spaghetti. I mean, all you need is whatever noodles you're going to use. You can use ramen if you don't want to cook and dehydrate regular pasta. So you've got ramen. Tomato, again, there's the powders. Tomato powder is just dehydrated tomatoes, and you can make an easy sauce out of it. Put a little bit of oregano or basil or something in, some garlic powder, and a Parmesan cheese packet, and there you got spaghetti. Okay. I mean, it's really that easy. <laughs> no, it sounds – so, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different – we kind of hinted on this earlier. There's a lot of different climates, very hot climates, very dry, very cold, very wet, like you were saying in Seattle. Um, how do they dictate what you should take and eat? So for hot climates, it's more not so much like what, I guess, calories or those kind of things. Um, it's more of the replacing the sodium that you've lost in your sweat. Um, so that's one of the bigger things is if you're going to be in a really hot climate, you're sweating really bad, you need to just eat salty foods. You don't need to take electrolyte tablets. I get that as, that's that question all the time. I mean, it's really not that necessary. As long as you have a little bit of salt in your food, then you're going to make up the difference. Uh, but at altitude or in cold climates, then that's another story. Um, I don't know if you know this, but shivering, you can actually burn 400 calories an hour just from shivering. That does not surprise me. Yeah. So when that's happening or if you've gotten wet and you're raining and, you know, and you're cold and you're shivering, you're burning so many calories. So that's kind of thing you have to keep in mind is to pack even more food on those cold days than you would on a summer day. Um, and two, if you're eating while you're hiking and you're cold, you're just going to produce more body heat to help yourself stay a little warmer. Um, so you just have to eat that much more to keep, keep your engine going, you know, to keep yourself warm. Yeah. And that makes sense. Where, where is your favorite place to hike? I know you spend a lot of time in the Seattle area. It sounds like you really like New Mexico. Um, you've been on the East coast. I mean, can you just talk about some of your favorites? Um, well, yeah, the Pacific Northwest is where we thought we were going to stay, but now that we've had the opportunity to travel everywhere else, um, we're really looking forward to exploring where in New Mexico, just because we haven't been there. Um, we've we've really traveled all over. We've traveled 35,000, 37,000 miles actually now, all around the country. So we really enjoyed the Adirondacks when we were there. We really enjoyed like Southern Arizona. We, we've been in California. Oh gosh, we've been in Colorado, Utah. I mean, we've done it all. Um, we just love being outside. So as yeah. long as I'm, and that's actually what we're going to do in New Mexico. We're purchasing land so we can essentially back up to public lands and hike out our back door. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, um, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like you're on a pretty good run already. Um, so, you know, I always ask uh, a lot of the guests on the show a few questions. Everyone's always interested in gear. So to shift, shift, uh, to shift gears for a minute on you, what is what what is your most treasured piece of backcountry gear? And this is probably one of the least expensive pieces of gear that I will not leave home without is my Frog Togs poncho. <laughs> Do you know what, wow. do you know what that is? Yeah, they're inexpensive. I mean, it's just it's waterproof. It's five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But, you don't uh, you don't sweat to death in that thing. But it has so many so many uses. Is why I love it. Okay. Um, because 
I don't necessarily just always use it over top of me. If there's times that it's I'm already sweaty and wet, then it doesn't really matter if my clothes are getting wet that I'm hiking in, but I want to keep my pack dry. So I just wrap it around my pack to keep my pack dry. Or there's been times I just want ground cover. So because I'm ultralight packer, I don't carry anything just to throw down on the ground necessarily. So I throw that down just as ground cover to sit on. Um, there's been times I've been in camp and the mosquitoes are horrible. So I wrap it around my legs just for mosquito protection. Um, I mean, it just has so many uses and it's recyclable. So when I do wear it out and it has holes in it, I can recycle it and buy another one for four ninety five. Yeah, at five bucks, how how durable are they? I mean, are you replacing them frequently, or do they last a pretty good long time? Oh, they for me, they've lasted hundreds of miles. I mean, I used the same one from the AT all the way through the Oregon coast. Wow, that's so, amazing. I mean, that's going on close to a thousand miles. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> hey, so I, I mean, it was definitely delaminating by the end, but it's, it was still functional. Oh, if you got that much use out of it for five bucks, five dollars, that's, that's a good return on your investment. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to talk about um, maybe your your most miserable day in the backcountry, just out of curiosity? I'm always so curious to hear what people say. Um, well, going back to the AT, I just did not enjoy the AT whatsoever. Um, the PCT, I'm definitely going to go back to. I have unfinished business with the PCT, but the AT, um, there was one particular day where it just rained and rained and rained, um, and the trail essentially turned into a creek. Um, and this was before I started wearing trail runner. So I had Gore-Tex, you know, up to my ankles boots that just, the rain just got in there and would not come out. So it was essentially like walking in. It felt like a fishbowl, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so, and then by that time I'd also injured my quad, but I didn't realize that I had torn it by then. So I just, this miserable pain in my quad. It's raining. My clothes are soaking wet. Ended up the next day having to throw away my boots because there's no chance that they were going to dry out. Um, so I ended up having to buy another pair of shoes that I, I think they were Merrell's or something that I'd never worn in my entire hiking career. Mm. So ended up having to buy shoes. So it was just horrible. Yeah, it's, um, it's not just the rain either. It's the humidity. That's the thing that just kills yeah. you about the East, right? Right. Of course, you're from, you know, you spent time in Seattle. You're you're familiar with the wetness, but it doesn't make it any better. Well, the humidity, it's a totally different beast. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is, especially when you get down south where, where we are. Um, what, you know, I, I got to ask you your best day ever because, and I know that's probably hard, but you, you know, uh, just do the best you can to answer it. Um, hate to, hate to ask you your most miserable without asking you your best. The best actually is a really easy answer. Um, my wedding day, mm. we got married on top of a mountain. <laughs> that's awesome. We backpacked in, um, I guess it was getting close to four miles, seven miles round trip. So we backed in with all of our, like my dress on my back. He had a suit on his back and a backpack. Um, so, and our, um, photographer was six months pregnant at the time. Wow. So her fiance, now husband, um, carried all of her gear in. And then my best friend was our officiant. So she hiked in with us and that's all that was there. And we hiked to one of our favorite places, actually Yellow Astro Butte is in the North Cascades in Washington is where we went okay. and we got married there and it was amazing. And we hiked back down fully dressed and have all these amazing pictures. I actually have a boot print on the front of my dress where I stepped on it. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, and then we had pizza and beer afterwards. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw, I saw pictures on your, one of your social media sites and it, it looked really pretty. So, yeah. uh, awesome. That's really 60 cool. degree views with, um, Mount Baker in the background. Oh, uh, that's awesome. That's That's really yeah. cool. Do you want to plug, speaking of social media, do you want to plug your website and your pages here quickly? 
Yeah, so we're Backcountry Foodie, so you can go to backcountryfoodie.com, um, and we're also Backcountry Foodie on Facebook and Backcountry Foodie on Instagram. Okay, and I noticed you had like over 10,000 Instagram followers, which is very impressive. What is your secret? I got to ask you. Um, actually, I was talking to my husband about this, and I think it's we just got in early before all these algorithms changed uh-huh. because the growth more recently is really slow. Um, so I think we got in early, so it was easier for people to see our work and our content because okay. I'm on there every single day, multiple times a day. Um, and I just engaging with people, I think, helps in providing content. But I think just early on, we were able to get a greater following because more people were able to see our work. Yeah, uh, wow, that's awesome. So. Yeah, good for you. Um, so any final thoughts, just final takeaways for people listening to the show that are hungry? Uh, one thing that they should remember if they forget everything else about uh, about backpacker foodie. Um, it really is going back to the philosophy of just take what you do at home into the backcountry with you. A calorie is not just a calorie. Um, really just, I mean, it's as simple as just looking at food labels and picking out something that has the carb, protein, and fat in it. Just, I mean, just taking a few extra seconds to read those things, and I think it'll take you so much further, and you'll feel so much better. And your pack's going to be lighter, and it's really cheaper, too, <laughs> so... Yeah, now that makes sense. Now you're in Florida now. Yes. Um, it's not the season to do the Florida trail. So wh- where where do you think you'll head after? Uh, I guess after some of this COVID nineteen uh, restrictions sort of loosen up. Where, what's your next move? Uh, well, again, we're going immediately going back to New Mexico and really working towards getting into the kitchen, the commercial kitchen, yeah. um, and figuring that part out. So unfortunately, we don't have a lot of backpacking coming because we're really trying to get this business up and running because I want to be ready for next season's through hikers um, or even later this year when hikers are trying to, you know, recoup some time that they lost during COVID. Um, so we're really just going to hit it hard and start working on that. So, but we are, we had been doing the 52 hike challenge before COVID. So we hope to get back into at least doing that much, um, weekday hikes kind of thing for time away from the office. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're doing a good job on the PR front. So, uh, well done there. And I, I certainly, uh, Wish you the best, and Aaron, if, if you ever need a meat eater to test any of your meat products, let me know, because I, I would be happy to be a, a volunteer to give you feedback. Actually, I do, to be honest, So because we need somebody to provide like suggestions of, here's the recipe that I make, but you tell me how much like ground beef does it need in it, how much mm. chicken does it need in it, and I will happily put those on the recipes for the meat eaters to have. Okay. So that's actually something I'm actually currently looking for, so... We, we need to talk. <laughs> I will experiment for you. That would, that would be a, that would be fun. My son would help too. He's a carnivore as well. Okay. Well, great. Hey, it's been great to have you on the show. I, uh, I, uh, look forward to seeing, uh, the future of backpacker foodie play out. So good luck to you. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. 
for more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.